0: So have you ever noticed that certain people start, stir up controversy? No, Just a little bit, No, nah, no, nah, yeah, everybody's friendly, everybody's nice. Nobody really stirs up controversy. I'm gonna name a few names, maybe think they stir up controversy, maybe not. The president, stirs up controversy. Notice I said the president, I did not say a president, I said the president. So whatever president name you wanna put in there right now, lots of them have stirred up controversy. Including the one in office right now. Oh, I did not say that. Anyways, Nancy Pelosi stirs up controversy. She opens her mouth, she'll stir up controversy. I'll tell you somebody else that stirs up controversy. AOC. You know who that is? Alexandria Ocasio Cortez stirs up controversy. If you're not a progressive and you don't like the way she thinks, she's going to get under your call. How about Kim Jong-un? The free leader of North Korea. Okay, that's not free, and he is the leader of North Korea, but he stirs up controversy. How about Hitler? That's just a few names. And I'm sure you can rattle off a lot more. But who do you suppose, throughout the entire. Year? Hold on, I haven't asked a question yet. Don't get ahead of me now. If you want to get up here, that is fine. Is the most controversial figure in human history? Jesus. There you go. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ. I mean, if you want to start a dialogue at work, at a party, at school, if you got kids. Ask two questions real quick. Ask somebody, who is Jesus? And then ask them, what is your opinion of Jesus Christ? That'll get some controversy going right there. Especially if kids ask in school these days. I love the Newsboys song, When Did It Get Illegal to Say Your Name in School? By the way, last night I went to see God's Not Dead at 4. You need to go see it. Good movie. Good movie. Has a lot of. It deals with today's topic right now. So what is your opinion about Jesus Christ? Maybe some of y'all remember the Jesus Seminar. Uh, The leader was Robert Funk. He was back in the 90s. So these so-called scholars decided that they're going to determine who Jesus was by looking at the historicity, I love that word because I can barely say it, of Christ himself. And their results were published uh, they had three reports coming out from 1993 to 1999. Do you know how these scholars found how they were going to determine they would go through the Bible and determine, is this true about Christ? Do you know how they did that? If I knew you could do it this way, I should have never have gone to school because I'm pretty sure I can do this. This is no lie. These scholars rolled dice. Did Jesus do it? Ah. He did. Did Jesus do it? Ooh, he did not. They rolled dice. That's how they determined the historicity of Jesus, by rolling dice. England's Hugh Stonefield wrote a book, The Passover Plot. Did anybody read that? Probably not. Wrote it in 1966, that's the year I was born. In case anybody was wondering. Alleging that the crucifixion was a part of a scheme by Jesus to fulfill the Messianic expectations rampant in his time, and the plan went totally wrong, and Jesus died. End of story. How about 1970? John Marco Aledro, a graduate of Manchester University and Oxford University, wrote a book called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. You know where this is going, don't you? He voiced his opinion that Christian religion was based on a cult practice Frequenting drug use. And guess which drug he thought they used? Psychedelic mushrooms. Oh, and sex. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that's about the right time. He, he based it on, he thought the Christian uh, religion was based on psychedelic mushrooms and sex. He theorized that Jesus' last words on the cross were not all meant to God, but a song of praise to the God of the mushrooms. Whoever that is, I do not know. Must be a little guy. That's all I can say. And of course, most of y'all probably remember one that's that's sort of frequent. Dan Brown's book. What did he write? The Da Vinci Code. Lots of controversy when that book first came out. He wrote two books, actually. Angels and Demons was the next one. You know what The Da Vinci Code was? A pure fiction book with real names. Yet people thought it was true. Controversy. It is everywhere we look. But Solomon reminds us of something. In Ecclesiastes 1.9, he says what? There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. The controversy surrounding Jesus is not new. It's not a product of modern day science. It's not a product of new age religion. It's not a product of modern or postmodern thought. It's not due to discoveries because of people with astute minds have just found things out. Jesus has always been the center of controversy. Even when Jesus walked the earth, he was the source of controversy. Anybody know what the one thing that the Pharisees and Sadducees did not like about Christ? The main one thing. Forget that he was breaking all the rules. Forget that he was taking power away from them, because he was. The one thing that they accused him of that you will not see in too many books, because it will definitely say who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ would start out a sentence, I am. And he would probably pause, <laughs> because they knew exactly what he was referring to. You say, I am. And of course, if you go back to the burning bush of Moses, I am that I am. He's always been a controversial figure. I mean, at Caesarea Philippi, he engaged his disciples in a conversation about the public opinion of himself. And of course, he asked, What is your opinion? You remember that dialogue with Peter when Peter made that famous concession followed by Jesus' affirmation. If you have your copy of God's word, we're going to be in Matthew for a little bit. So turn to Matthew, chapter 16, is where we're going to be. We'll be in John 5 eventually too. Let's look at that little dialogue that Jesus was having in Matthew chapter 16, starting down at verse 13. Matthew 16, 13 through 17 says this. Now when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. And others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the other prophets. And he said to them, but who do yourselves say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So from this incident, incident, we see a great insight to the person of who Jesus Christ is. First of all, in Matthew 16, 13, we see that Jesus Christ is fully man. What does it say in verse 13? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's the title that Jesus used himself for himself. I mean, he was talking to his disciples and he was saying, who am I? And he called himself what? The Son of Man. It was the most common designation that Jesus used during his earthly ministry for himself. According to what version of the Bible he use, it's used some 80 times in the New Testament. The term Son of Man focuses on Jesus' what? His humanity. He's human. Not only is he human, he's fully human. Jesus is fully human. I want, I want to make sure you get that. He is fully human. Now, if you're a liberal theologian or a liberal in general, that's probably where you're going to stop with Christ. Now, he is A liberal will agree with you that Jesus is fully human. But then they'll stop. But there's a small little problem with that. The Bible doesn't stop there. Jesus is fully human. But the clear teaching of Scripture says that what? Jesus is also fully God. That's where you get into your controversy. That's where a lot of people will separate. Even people who didn't believe who he said he was and actually believe he existed will say, oh, he existed, so obviously he was human. But he wasn't God. No, Jesus is fully God. Look at verses 16 and 17. He's the Son of the living God. Son of God. That's used more than 50 times in the New Testament. So what does the title Son of God tell us about Jesus and about himself? He is God. The Moody Handbook of Theology says this. A son is, this, is of the same nature and essence as the father. And affirming Jesus as his son, God the father was saying that Jesus his son is deity because he is of the same essence of the father. The Apostle John affirms this, that the term Son of God is a declaration of His deity. In 1 John 5.20 it says, And we know that the Son of God has come, and He is giving us an understanding so that we may know who is true. Him who is true. And we are in Him that is true, in His Son Jesus Christ, that is the true God and everlasting life. So He's fully human and fully God. People from history have actually expressed that. One of the great conquerors of the world, Napoleon Bonaparte, a French general, said this about Jesus. I know men, and Jesus Christ is more than a man. That's what Napoleon said about Christ. So now that Jesus is fully human, we see that he's fully man, but he's also something else. Because being a Christian, fully God, fully human is great, but why was he sent here? What was the one thing that Israel was promised? And since Israel rejected them, we as Gentiles get the fruit of that promise. What was it? We were promised, they were promised a Messiah. Look at verse 16. The title Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew title Messiah. And I know you all know this, but I'm going to reiterate it one more time. Christ is not Jesus' last name. They did not come from the family of Christ. Jesus Christ is a title. It's the equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. And notice what, and and the Greek term Christos, where we get Christ from, means anointed or anointed one. Same thing as Messiah, the anointed one. And notice what Peter says about Christ. You are what? You are a Christ? You are some Christ? No, he says you are the Christ. The Christ. That's a definite article. I wanted to know the prayer request that was mentioned and my phone was out in my car. I said, now will somebody go out to a car and get my phone, please? Well, there's cars over here. There's cars over there. And I'm pretty sure there's cars in the back. Go to a car and get my phone. You'll be out there all night. Especially if you didn't see what I drove up in. Now, if I say go to the car that is a 2018 Kia Forte and it's light gray and it's right there, where are you going to go? You can go out that door to the Kia Forte it's right there, especially if you saw me drive up. I'll even give the keys to it. It'll open it right up for you. It's the car. It's not a car. It is the car. When Peter says you are the Christ, he's saying you are the definite one. You are the anointed one. You're the one who was promised to us. You're the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. The Christ. What did Thomas say about him? I was about, I, I, I was this close to giving y'all a message tonight about discerning Didymus. Who was Didymus? Just told you. It's Thomas. But I want you to discern about Didymus because there's so many labels that we put on people. If I say Jezebel was the first thing that come to your mind. One more, just one more. Jezebel. <clears throat> what? Wicked. Prostitute? Wicked? Yeah. Here's one. Ready? Judas. Oh man, that went everybody does. About, about around the room. And let's go with this one. Thomas. Doubting. 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 Y'all really need to look into that a little bit more. The other disciples also doubted. Thomas wasn't in the room when the other disciples were in the room. Did you notice that? There's four places that Thomas is mentioned. In two places, he's called as a disciple. I believe Luke or John calls him an apostle. In the other place, he is the one who is not in the room. But then they say, hey, we've seen him, Thomas. We've seen him. Well, why were the disciples in a locked room? Why were they there? Does anybody know? They were scared, they were scared for their lives. Or was Thomas. Now if you read a lot of commentaries, you'll see that, oh, he's the gloom and doom. He just wanted to suffer along. Well, that's fine. You can think. But that's pure conjecture. That is pure conjecture. People thinking that. His name means twin, by the way. They don't know if it was twin because he has dual minds or twin because he actually had a twin in the Bible. Some people think his twin was Lydia. Pure conjecture. But I read a devotion that had this in it. And it made me think about Thomas again. He said that, no, Thomas was out still looking for Christ and could have cared less if he would have died or not. He wanted to find Jesus. Now, the other place that you see him, and this is really interesting too, is when they met in the room the second time. Thomas was now there. Now, remember the first time Jesus came in, Thomas wasn't there, and he says, because of your disbelief, he, he told the other disciples, do we call him doubting Peter? No. Do we call him doubting Andrew? Doubting Bartholomew? No. We call him doubting Thomas. Why? The others doubted it too. You know what? We'd have probably doubted it too. You see, they were looking for a king that was going to come and conquer the world through war. Even though he flat out told them that's not what's going to happen. The second time when Thomas was there and he touched, he says, with your unbelief, touch me. And Thomas touched him like probably we would scars the sad. And he was the only one. He up Peter one. You know what he said? My Lord and my God. The only one that ever said that. First one to say my Lord and my God. Think about the doubting part of him again. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Every single one of them died. Thomas apparently died in India for the belief as well. We label a lot of people. Don't we? Jesus, when we get back to him, the anointed one, the Christ, came because he had to save us from our sins. So the claim that Jesus is fully God and fully man and fully Messiah, well, that's great. But do we have any witnesses to that in the Bible? Of course we got some witnesses to that in the Bible. I mean, look at the debate with the Pharisees about who he was. Jesus called forth several witnesses that he was fully God, fully man, and The Messiah. First of all, he witnessed of himself. Look at John 5, 19 through 31. Flip on over a little bit. John 5, starting in verse 19. And I want you to really soak this in because this is a witness of himself. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. So what is Jesus proclaiming there? That He can't do it unless the Father is doing it. And if the Father is doing it, He can do it. And where's the Father? He's in heaven. Oh, so he's, He's been to heaven. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. Not only is He doing it, but He's doing it exactly as the Father has done it. Proclaiming Himself. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. Does God show you everything that He's doing, God the Father? Nothing. Pastor Scott has, has told you about that. There's some things, attributes, that he, him, he Himself alone keeps to Himself. Communicable and incommunicable attributes. The incommunicable, you don't do. But according to this, Jesus can and the Father will show you greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Verse 21, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, look at what the son can do. So the son also gives life to whom he wishes. What did Jesus just proclaim about himself? He can raise the dead. For not even the father judges, for, look at this, for not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. It's not called the Bema Seed of the Father. It's called the Bema Seed of Christ. You'll stand before Jesus Christ to be judged, and he just proclaimed that right there. So that all in verse 23 will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoa, step back there for a second. You say that in front of a Pharisee and Sadducees, they're going to give you one word, and they're going to start ripping their clothes off, slashing their backs because you just did what? Blasphemy. What did Jesus just proclaim about himself? He was God. All honor. If you honor the Father, if you honor the Son just as you honor the Father. The one who does not, the one who uh, the one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, in verse twenty-four, I say to you, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. What did Jesus now just proclaim about Himself? He can give you eternal life. And does not come into judgment. What is he claiming there? He can forgive your sins. But has passed out of death into life. And he raised himself from the dead. Truly, truly, I say to you, at a, time, a time is coming, and even now has arrived, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as a father has life in himself, so he gave the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute the judgment because he is the son of man. Verse 28, do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out those who did the good deeds to the resurrection of life and those who committed bad deeds to the resurrection of judgment. And verse 30, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. And you have to stop right there and go, wait a second. Was he not just testifying about... No, he wasn't testifying about himself. He said that God is testifying about himself. And actually the Holy Spirit testifies about him too. He has two witnesses. So his testimony is true. And these these verses right here give you a powerful witness of who Jesus thinks he, he, he is. So that was a witness of himself. Let's look at a witness of the people. Look at John 5, verses 32 through 35. Now there is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent messengers to John. John who? John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now there he's talking about another guy who testified. Him. He's talking about the one who would be sent out before him, who was prophesied back in the Old Testament. There'll be one calling out into the wilderness. He's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one who leaped in the womb when Jesus was in the womb also. He's talking about a witness who says, you will testify about me. And you enjoy his light. But that light's going to fade. John the Baptist, y'all probably heard this before, is the last Old Testament prophet. Found in the New Testament. Why is that? Because he's the bridge. He's the bridge that brings all the Old Testament prophecies and puts them into the New Testament and says, here is the fulfillment of what you've been hearing. When Jesus was coming before him, he was remember, he's out in the winter. He's had huge gatherings. And Jesus was coming before him. And he said, what? I can't even untie his sandals. Behold the Lamb of God. I can't even untie his sandals." Paul said, what about himself? I must decrease so that he can increase. John probably said the exact same thing. i got to be a little lower because it's he who you're looking for. John the Baptist, Baptist witnessed about Christ. I mean, the apostles gave the ultimate witness by giving their lives based on their belief in Christ. Now, it's church tradition, but I've already mentioned it before. Look in the Foxes, Books, of Martyrs. Every single one of them except John gave their life for Christ. Some of them, um, very badly, solved them too. Ugh. Peter hung upside down on a cross because he did not want to be killed in the same position that Christ was killed, and he did not find it worthy. Can you believe that? You know, the cross, you die because of suffocation. You hang up like this, and you lift yourself up, you'll die from suffocation. You can't breathe. And that little foot pedal that was underneath him, that wasn't there for comfort. That was there so you could last a little bit longer. So you could push you up on your toes when you needed a breath. So you could go just a little bit longer on that torture system. Now flip somebody upside down on that thing. I'm not quite sure how that works, but that would have to be a gruesome death. Every single one of the apostles died a gruesome death causing the belief. Go to the early church fathers Ignatius of Antioch in 50 to 117. Polycarp, which was actually a disciple of John. Testifies about them. Um, Clement of Alexandria, one fifty to two fifteen. Tertullian, and one sixty to two twenty five. Origin, from one eighty five to two fifty four. They all gave witness that Jesus was fully man, that Jesus was fully God, and that He was fully Messiah. Now, you know, may not believe in all of their teachings. Remember, we've got most of the New Testament because why? Because Paul went out, Barnabas went. I mean, they all went out to you know make churches. <laughs> and before they can even make the second round, there are Ron writing letters going, no, this is, what, why is that going so? There's, the problem with churches is, is there's people in it. And the problem with people is that we're sinful. By nature, we're sinful. And as soon as you start a church and you have at least two people in it, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> Christ knew that. Guess what? He still loves us. He still loves us. Can I just clear up one thing really quick? Because I know there's controversy about it sometimes. I may have done this before, but I like repeating myself because a lot of us need to hear it again and again and again. How many of y'all shop at Food Lion? Raise your hand. How many of y'all shop at Publix? Raise your hand. Here's Teeter. Walmart. Target. I shop at Target in years. ears. How many of y'all go to Pitts Baptist Church? Raise your hand. You better all raise your hand. You're in here. <laughs> so If you're not raising your hand, you don't know quite where you are. How many of y'all go to West Stanley out now more? Been there? My kids go there for a while? No? Huh? Okay. How many of y'all go to the, um, the New Life Church in Locust, who has a contemporary service, who um, plays really loud music? No? Been there? I mean, y'all go to the cowboy churches right across my neighborhood. Pastor Jeff Smith. Have you ever heard Jeff Smith talk, buddy? He's a cowboy now. His heart is to save people. Cowboy. They ride horses all the time. They ride through my neighborhood. Now you can sit there and go, I don't know about that. Here's what you don't do. Do not say anything about the people going to those churches. Not unless you're saying people that go to Food Lion or Walmart. Why do you go to Food Lion or Walmart? Because they're different. They have different things. They have different stuff that you want. There's churches because churches are a little different. I like it here. I I, I was born and raised here. They were very traditional at the beginning. My first pastor that I knew, Ed Hall. How many of y'all remember Ed Hall? A couple of y'all knew Ed Hall. That's the first pastor I remember here. But it has changed. I'm glad they got Jonathan here because he mixes traditional and contemporary and really well. We don't complain when other churches... We should not complain about other people who like things just a little bit differently. And if something goes a little bit different here in the church, don't complain about it. You sing praises to God. That may draw somebody in that hadn't been here before. And as long as it's worshiping God and praising God... You can go along with that. Everybody here that I just named testifies to the humanity of Christ, to the deity of Christ, and to the Messiah of Christ. Even unbelievers testified to that. The centurion at the cross, remember what he said in Mark 15, 39? He stood at the crosswood from him and he cried out and said, and expired and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. centurion said, well, let's look at the witness of His work. Look at John five thirty six. But the testimony I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which, is, which the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus speaks here about the body of work, which includes His miracles of healing, His deliverance, His preaching, His teaching. The great consummation of His work is death, burial, and resurrection. It's where all this is going to lead up to. First Corinthians, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 8. I'll, tell you, I'll read it real quick. For I handed down to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Now Cephas was Peter, in case you're wondering. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of whom remained to the That was, of course, when this was being written. But some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, as the one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared to me also. And, of course, where did he appear to Paul? He wrote to Damascus. What was Paul going, was Paul going up to Damascus for? He went to a shop at a food line or Walmart. It was go to bring the Christians bound in chains back to Jerusalem to persecute. And that's where Paul was found. Let's look at the witness of the Scripture. John 5, 39-40 says this. You examine the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is those very Scriptures that testify about me. What did Jesus say right there? This is talking about me. They're, They're talking about me. And yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. The scriptures testify. Give witness to Jesus' humanity. They give witness to Jesus' deity. They give witness to Jesus' messiahship. The teaching of the scriptures, hopefully even tonight, shows you that he is human, that he is fully God, and that he is fully Messiah. Let's look at another witness. We've already talked about this before. Let's look at the witness of the Father. Look at verse 37. And the Father who sent me, he has testified about me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. So the Father is witnessing about him. Now, let's look at different places that the Father witnesses about Christ. The Father's spoken witness first. During his baptism in Matthew three seventeen. and behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Remember, we just talked about it. John, I can't untie his shoes. Jesus said, I want to be baptized. John says, You need to be baptized in me. Remember, John was baptizing for what? The remission of sin. That's an interesting one to study. Where did he get that concept from? Because no, other Old Testament prophet ever had that. You're, not, you're baptized for the remission of sin. But as soon as he saw Christ, he says, "You have no sin. I have sin. You baptize me. I don't need to be baptizing you." Jesus says, "No, I need to be baptized. I'm going to do the will of my Father." And so, as Jesus was baptized, now here, okay, I, I like to throw y'all a bone every now and then. I know Baptists absolutely, I've been a Baptist online. I was in my mother's womb as a Baptist, okay? Baptists absolutely believe in immersion. I absolutely believe immersion is the perfect picture of how the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ goes. But I do not believe they dunk them backwards. That to me is ridiculous. Think about that. I have done this before because I have baptized people before. And when you, and when you baptize a 300 pound guy, it's nice to have water because they float. But what do we do to them? We take them. I tell them, put this hand right here. I'm standing right here. I want this hand right here on your nose, and I want this hand right here on your hand. You know why I want this hand right here on their hand? That's their flyaway hand. If they fly away, it's going to go over here, not on me. This nose is on their, I mean, this hand's on their nose. Why is that? Because we dip people backwards in water. What happens when you dip people backwards in water, and they suck it up? They drown. No wonder people are afraid to be baptized. Now. Having said that, I truly believe that Jesus was baptized this way. I believe he was about right up to here. And John the Baptist went straight down. Or maybe a little forward. He still went under the water. He's still covered by the water. That just makes a lot more sense to me. I just like to throw things out like that. Y'all can tell Scott. Don't let he throws these weird things out at us all the time. <laughs> no, I, 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 I believe that's the. Especially if you go to a river or something, please do not baptize somebody backwards while the water's running up their nose. That's just wrong. So the father spoke about that Now remember too, this is you know this is this is the the Trinity in these verses because as Jesus the Son was being baptized, the clouds come open. And like a dove, what was coming down? The Holy Spirit landing upon Christ, and then the voice from heaven came out. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. People who don't believe in the Trinity, I just wanted to explain that to me really quick. What's happening there? At least not a Trinity, but a duality. It's something. You've got to believe in something. Remember, God describes himself, pluristically, but defines himself singularly. You can show them that for a while too. He also, the Father spoke of witness during his transfiguration. In Matthew 17 5, while he was still speaking. Who's speaking at the transfiguration before Christ speaks? Remember, the, he took three out of my theater circle Peter, Paul, James. Okay, not Paul, John. Peter, John, James. <laughs> Rome one. Peter, I always like to call him Foot in the mouth Peter. I labeled him. But he is usually right before everything. But he likes to speak. And then they saw him, and they saw the Mount of Transfiguration. Who did they see on the Mount of Transfiguration? It was Jesus. We got one. Name the other two. Elijah. 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 Moses. <laughs> Tell me something. How old was Peter, James, and John? Because they surely were not old enough to know exactly who Elijah was and who Moses was. But Peter recognized him. Did you ever realize that? He looked straight at There's Elijah and Moses man man's never seen him before in his life. You know what that tells me? When you get up there, you're going to know everybody by name and by sight. But Peter, God bless this all, says, Man, we need to make altars to each and every one of them. We might have done the same thing. I mean, come on, if you met Moses, that's an awesome man, I'm sure, to meet. Peter would be awesome. I think Peter was big and burly. I, mean, I think he was a man's man. But he saw he wanted to make three of them. That was a little wrong. You don't make one for Moses. You don't make one for Elijah. Who do you need to make one to? Jesus. So while Peter was doing that, <laughs> while Peter was still speaking, he got interrupted. A bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice from the cloud says, This is my beloved son. I think their little aura around Christ got a little bit brighter for Peter there. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Semi-colon, Listen to him, Peter. I said listen to him, but he was the one, Peter was the one interrupted. Listen to him. So we have the Father at the Transfiguration. And then in John 12, 20 through 29, right after his triumphal entry. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to the worship at the feast, which is interesting. Going to the feast that the Jews do, and here come some Greeks. It's an intermingled crowd. These people came to Philip, who was also at Bethesda of Galilee, and were making a request of him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. How noble of them. And Philip came along and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came along and told Jesus. So you got a little chain of command going on there. Only Jesus hears about it. But Jesus answered them saying, Thou art has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's a great study right there in itself. Let's keep going. The one who loves his life loses it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled in what I am to to say. Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out from heaven. So Jesus just said all that. And I just got to pause. He says, my soul has become troubled for I am to say. Father, save me from this hour. Remember, he did that with the cup. When he was was praying, he was praying in sweats and, you know, if there's any other way, Lord, but let your will be done. Let me give you a little insight to the uh, prayer the garden that he was sweating blood. He wasn't praying for the crucifixion not to happen to him. If you read a couple of verses before, he was looking forward to that. I don't say he was looking forward to the pain. I don't say he was looking forward to the torture or the ridicule. But if you read the verses right before that, he was looking forward to saving our lives. He wasn't praying for that to pass by him because he loved you that much. But right here, no little trouble. The humanity comes out. Yeah, a no little trouble. It's going to hurt. That's going to hurt a little bit. But the voice says, from heaven, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. I have both glorified it, but Jesus just prayed, and I will glorify it again. And so the crowd who stood and heard it were saying that it was thunder. Others were saying an angel spoke to him. Just out of curiosity, what do you think God's voice sounds like? And I know a lot of people, especially especially if you ask pastors, Pastor Scott, say, how do I know if God's speaking to me? Because you really don't hear him audibly, do you? You just don't hear him audibly sometimes. But you know because of the Holy Spirit that He's not going to go against His Word. And that any thought that's going through your head, if it lines up with Scripture, it's probably the Holy Spirit talking to you. 732. I'll give you a quick, I do the Father's affirming witness here in a second. Um, like I said, say go see God's not dead before, oh, that's great. Um, in my own testimony. Uh, for those of you who don't know me very well, but I've preached this before a long time ago. At uh, one time, my wife and I were separated. My fault. You know how well it was. my fault? Because I constantly asked God, give me the rest of my marriage. Give me the, I wasn't audibly saying that, but from my actions and from what I was doing, I told God, I think I can handle this. And one day, reluctantly, He gave them to me. And my marriage went, down the My wife moved out, <clears throat> and I prayed and I prayed. And I, I was one of these. I will not. I will never give her a divorce. Never. I told her that too. I'll, I'm not going to sign any divorce papers. Not going to happen. This happened while I was going right here to this church, and I forget for how many months or almost a year, I believe. Uh, I moved back in with my parents and she moved back into our house uh, I was coming to church thankfully we had some really good people singing in the choir that was great for me, I like to sing um and uh, the pastor that was here, Robert Roberts was the pastor at the time um Was giving me some instruction, was was counseling me through it. And he says, You need to date your wife again. And so not only did we see him, but we also got a Christian counselor down in Charlotte to see us. And we were going back and forth, and um, I just, and I I would cry on the bed, and my Bible held to my chest sometimes, because I knew it was my fault. I mean, I said, Lord, I messed this up. I'm going to say this to you, but this is my testimony. But I sat there on the bed one night. I said, Lord, I just don't know what to do. And I heard a voice saying, Do you trust me? I said, Yeah, Lord, I trust you. How much do you trust me? I said, Lord, I'll give up my job, I'll move, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I will do it. What do you want me to do? You know the next words I heard, tell her to give her a divorce. So I started arguing with God. I said, Lord, uh, you, you hate divorce, you despise divorce. You know what his next words do? Do you trust me? I said, all right, Lord, this is not what I want this is not what I want to do. I would not have done it if I did not literally think I heard God speak to me. So our next little thing, we had a little date night. We were sitting in the parking lot and I just looked at her and said, I love you. But if you have any divorce papers and you want me to sign, I'll sign. And I let her walk. And I came back to the house very next Sunday she showed up in church after about a year two weeks after that she went back in and that was all God Now, I'm not saying God went against the word he knew exactly where she was you see if I would have said yes before that I had found out that she did get a lawyer and the lawyer says, man, if he's not going to sign this, it's going to take a off of this. So she had to wait. But it was on God. It was all God that did that. He can still audibly speak if he, if he wants to. He can audibly heal. He can, he can raise people from the dead. Uh, I go against the apostolic gifts. I think if God wants to do it, he can do it. They're not as prevalent here because we are such a rich nation and we don't see it. But you start going asking missionaries from Africa and stuff what they've seen. God still is casting out demons. God is still healing broken bones. God is is doing wonders. And He still can today. Now, the Father's affirming witness. In John 3, 2, He says, This man, this Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. I'd love to have a testimony like that. Said, Man, he can't be doing what he's doing. God must be with him. And that was the Father's affirming witness to Nicodemus. And then the Father's inner, inner witness in John 6, 45, it says, It is written in the prophets, As they shall be taught of God, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me love that. You learn that from the Father, you'll come straight to Christ. And then, of course, we read this earlier, 1 John 5, 9-12. If we receive the testimony of people, the testimony of God is great. For the testimony of God is this, that He has testified concerning His Son. There you go. you got a witness right there. God the Father testifying about His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has a testimony in Himself. And the one who does not believe in God has made Him a liar. Not a good place to be because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is his son. The one who has the son has the life and the one who does not have the son does not have the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Not a life, not some life, not a new life, but the life. Do you realize that every breath that you take is from God? Believe it or not. Do you realize that when he made Adam from the ground, That he breathed the breath of life into him. You know, you're living on borrowed breath. Because if God decided, I want my air back, every single one of us would be dead because this is borrowed. It's not ours. I love to go out and tell a bunch of women, that's not your body. This is not my body. This is God's. No, my mom and dad did not make this body. They just gave genetic codes so it looked like this. They didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And their grandparents didn't make them, and their great grandparents didn't make that. And we can go back as far as you want to. It's not yours, it's his. These are on loan. And Peter calls these tents, by the way. These old ragged tents you're going to give out one day. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or revert it back because, man, it just gets harder and harder to do things every day, doesn't it? Amen. Yeah. The older people say, amen. some of you what's he talking about? You went, you went, you went. It gets harder. It gets harder. The testimony of the sinner. So what's the controversy? <laughs> what is the controversy about Christ? Trust me. Um, if, if, if you live here, and this is where you come, and this is where you minister, and you don't go out far, because trust me, I did it for nine and a half years as a pastor. Now I witnessed the people, and I, and I did things, but then I had to step back out into the real world. Oh my goodness. It's, it's amazing where people are these days. It is amazing where people are right now. It—I um, hear so much chatter around me. Little bombs being dropped there. Little bombs being dropped there. And, and if they do use God's name in vain and they are around me, they—they they actually will turn around to me and say, "I'm sorry about that." I said, "You don't need to be sorry for me." It's the one you blaspheme. You need to be sorry. About <laughs> be sorry to. I got a few people saying. Seeing stuff, but um, the world's a bad place and it's only getting worse. It's not getting any better, I don't think. I think it's getting worse, but we need to be lights out there. Benjamin Rush, uh, 1746 to 1813, American physician and a political in, uh, leader and a member of the Continental Congress and a signer of the Declaration of Independence, said Controversy is only dreaded by the advocates of error. You believe in Jesus Christ? You should be a controversial figure for people you walk around. That should be controversial to them because it goes totally against anything they believe. They're walking in the dark. They cannot stand the light that you put on them. They can't stand it. It's not the light that you have. It's the reflection of Jesus Christ through us. And that's a witness. So based on that definition, there shouldn't be any controversy to who Christ is. We should be bold and proclaim him. Every time. Pray that God will put somebody in your path every day. And do not back down. Do not back down from that. People need to hear. It is not your job to convert anybody. It's your job to tell them the truth in love. No matter what color they are, or what affiliation to some political thing they are, you tell them. Let me tell you, the the hardest people you're going to have witness to, your family. 'Cause they can come right back. Yeah, you are like this. Yeah. yeah. I'm probably still am in some ways, aren't I? Let me tell you what Jesus did.